Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. I have Eleanor Harrison Dengate here with me. Now, Eleanor, everyone is talking about the cost of living, don't you feel? Oh my gosh, yes. Housing costs, petrol prices and groceries are apparently 2022's biggest expenses. So in this episode of The Briefing, we're going to have a look at how you can adult your way through the cost of living crisis. Budgets don't work in the same way that diets don't work. You know, you're super restrictive and it works for a a period of time, but after that you tend to bust out and go back to all those old habits. So instead, I'm a fan of figuring out who you are, what goals are you excited about, and then setting up finances that actually work for you and are sustainable in the long term. Yeah, so how to not do really unhealthy things like binge on the financial equivalent of an entire family block of chocolate not mentioning any names or putting myself forward for that one. (laughs) That is our briefing. But first, here are today's headlines. It is Friday, the 29th of July. Sexual assault has hit an all-time high, rising by 13% last year compared to the year before. According to new Bureau of Statistics data, broken down it means 85 people a day were sexually assaulted last year in Australia. Yeah, what shocking figures. Almost 90% of sexual assaults were not reported to police, so this means the true number is probably much higher than the 31,000 reported to police. So the data showed that 61% of victims... Over 3,000 boys and 15,000 girls were underage, while women were six times more likely than men to be sexually assaulted. The most common location for sexual assaults was in a home, while nine out of ten did not involve a weapon. More than a third of sexual assaults were related to domestic violence. So these stats come after the federal government introduced its domestic violence leave bill to parliament yesterday. And this will mean 11 million workers, including casuals, will be entitled to 10 days leave. The US has unofficially plunged into recession. It's after its economy shrank for a second consecutive quarter. GDP declined by 0.9% in the second quarter, following a bigger drop of 1.6% in the first three months of this year. Two quarters of negative growth is usually a signal that a recession is underway. Although President Joe Biden is still talking the US economy up. Both Chairman Powell and many of the... uh, um, Uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in recession. Yes, so he cited low unemployment, high investment and a manufacturing boom as the reasons why. So technically, a recession has to be officially declared by the National Bureau of Economic Research in the US. And this is all sort of coming after our Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, yesterday gave his economic outlook. He's warning that inflation will nudge 8% by the end of the year and wages are unfortunately looking pretty stagnant. We have yet another twist to the Manly Pride jersey saga. The seven players who refuse to wear a rainbow stripe have apparently told the club they are prepared to wear the jersey next season as long as they're consulted in the process. That's according to Manly owner Scott Penn, who spoke with Channel 9. So the seven all refused to play this week to avoid wearing a jersey that celebrates inclusiveness of the LGBTIQ plus community in rugby league. 
Penn also admitted the release of the jersey has been botched, you reckon? Uh, and an internal audit is underway. And in what is probably sweet justice to a lot of people, Manly was beaten by the Roosters last night, 2010. A billion-dollar grants program put in place by the previous federal government favoured projects in National Party electorates, according to a new report. Since 2016, the Building Better Regions Fund has funded community hubs, holiday parks, jetties and sporting facilities across regional Australia, so that's almost 1,300 projects altogether. But it turns out two-thirds of the funded infrastructure projects were, quote, not the most meritorious, according to a report from the Australian National Audit Office. So nationals held seats were given almost 30% more, $104 million, than would have been the case, according to the merit assessment process. Pork barrelling anyone? The report also found there were inadequate records on how the decisions were made. Not really surprised by this one, going to be honest. The opening ceremony for the Commonwealth Games has kicked off with more than 6,000 athletes set to compete across 72 countries and territories. In times of darkness, we carry a dream of light that calls us all to to gather. Oh my gosh, that sounds very dramatic, a bit like a Harry Potter production. <laughs> but this game's theme is all about exploring the rich and diverse history of Birmingham. So this afternoon, after the opening ceremony is over, it's all going to begin with the swimming and para-swimming. It could be another gold rush for Australia. Ariane Titmus, Emma McKeon, Kyle Chalmers, Zach Doubleti Cook and many more Aussies are going to be taking to the water. So good and, and going to fill that hole that we all need after the Olympics ended. Uh, Cody Simpson, everyone's talking about again because he's now facing the possibility of competing in four events after teenage sensation Isaac Cooper, who actually beat Simpson in the qualifiers, was axed from the team because of well-being challenges and the use of medication. And Eleanor, I mean, he sneaked into the Dolphins and he, it looks like he could now be a major player in the team. He was only going to sort of have a minor role at the beginning, but people are saying, even though it looks like a bit of a Cinderella story, a bit of that feel-good tale, because, you know, he left his celebrity lifestyle behind to take up swimming again, everything's going to really rest on how well he does as to whether he's going to make that Paris team in 2024, which is his big goal after all, but still gives us something to watch uh, in addition to all the other amazing things that are going to be happening in the Com Games. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Eleanor. In just a sec, Rihanna's going to join me. We're going to be talking about how you can adult your way through all of these cost of living stresses. So how is the cost of living affecting you? It is fuel prices, energy prices, rising rents and interest rates. Honestly, it kind of feels like it is everywhere you turn, Rihanna. Yeah, I mean, even lettuce, the cost of that is rising $9 or so, probably more depending on (laughs) where you live. But in this episode of The Briefing, I mean, how can you adult your way through these rising costs? 
Melissa Brown is the author of Un-F Your Finances. That is the G-rated version. She's also written a book called Budgets Don't Work. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on the briefing. So if budgets don't necessarily work, can you tell us what does? Budgets don't work in the same way that diets don't work. You know, you're super restrictive and it works for a a period of time, but after that you tend to bust out and go back to all those old habits. So instead, I'm a fan of figuring out who you are, what goals are you excited about, and then setting up finances that actually work for you and are sustainable in the long term. Unfortunately, it's a little bit of a longer, more in-depth process, but it's not a short-term fix like a Band-Aid, like, which is exactly what I think budgets are. It's that long-term sustainable solution. Melissa, I feel like the kind of conversations that I'm having with my friends and my family at the moment, I don't know that I've ever experienced more doom and gloom when it comes to talking about money. It just feels like everywhere you turn, there's a hit, like bloody hell, even lettuce, (laughs) you know, broccoli. (laughs) Like it just feels like no matter where you turn, everything is so expensive. So how do Mm. we dream big still when it just feels like, oh gosh, we're just being steamrolled by everything? Look, I want to just preface by saying it's really easy to feel that this is the first time this has happened and everything's terrible and is there any light at the end of the tunnel? It's the first time that our generation has lived through a pandemic for most of us, but it certainly isn't the first time that we've been in a recession. It's not the first time we've seen rising interest rates and rising cost of living. So this too shall pass. There are some things you can do during this time to make sure that your finances are still robust. There are still opportunities to be had and ways that you can save money now. We have a declining level of financial literacy. Um, That's globally. And so it is difficult to understand what to do when we haven't been taught how to have great finances. I feel like so many of us, and I know I felt this, getting to adulthood, I don't think I understood what financial literacy really was because you learn from your Mm. parents, right? And when you're at school, you learn about algebra, you learn about all these other things, but not how to invest in, you know, what kind of credit card you should get. Should you get one at all? What should you be looking for? How do you get a home loan? All of those things that you need to adult with. Do you think that needs to change? And is this part of why a book like yours exists? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if it was up to me, this would be taught at school. Basic economics, this should be basic maths. There are so many things like trigonometry. I don't remember the last time that I needed that, but gosh, it would be nice to understand taxes and understand credit and the different types of debt. And I think there has been an appetite for this since COVID. You know, when times are good, we can afford not to care about finances because we know that, oh, you know, when the next paycheck comes, we'll be fine. You know, that's tomorrow's problem. But when times are uncertain, suddenly we care. And that's what I'm seeing at the moment. And something like my book is the first step. I run courses now and I've had 1,400 women through and couples where they actually have that appetite for deeper financial literacy for creating their own financial plans and actually understanding what finances mean. That's the one thing that's coming out of this moment that I think is really good. Yeah, you were talking earlier about how you don't believe 
budgets are the answer necessarily during uncertain times like this. It's more about knowing mm. yourself and you write about knowing your financial, I think it's pronounced phenotype. What do you mean mm. by that? It, it's about your money story and your money environment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So phenotype in nature is a combination of your nurture and your nature. So in the same way that I have blue eyes, I'm tall and I'm introverted, that's my nature and my nurture coming into play. And with our finances, it's understanding the same thing. It's understanding our money story. So those experiences and messages we've picked up from parents or the media. So you might have carry a money story where you think that money's just bad. You know, too much money is a bad thing or it's not feminine or, you know, the man is the plan, which was that terrible one back in the day. For nature, it might be one of the four different money types. So if you're a creative type, it might be that you hate deprivation. But if I was to say to you, how could you find $833 next month? How could you find $27.40 a day outside of your normal wage? And that strange figure is if you can do that, then you could find 10 grand a year. And they're going to be far more interested in that than me saying, look, we need to trim the fat. So it's understanding who you are so that you can set that long-term sustainable plan. Melissa, you mentioned triggers there and uh, what gets you to spend your money. And I grew up in a very different time, showing my age a little bit, when you couldn't walk out with something before you paid for it. But what are some of those things you should avoid doing which would really help your bottom line and keep it in the red? Look, it's really hard when we have rising costs of living to want to just keep up and we have we get accustomed to a certain type of living, a way of living. And when those expenses rise, we think that, but hang on, I should just be able to keep going. And it's really easy now more than ever, as you said, to access credit, whether it's a payday loan, which there is a rise of that in the last couple of years, whether it's buy now, pay later or credit. There are so many alternatives to enable you to get that instant gratification. And it's about realizing that that is a short-term fix that will keep you on a hamster wheel of debt. Afterpay, for example, on their own website, part of the reason they justify their higher fees is because they tell retailers that your average spend will go up by 40%. So if you're thinking, oh yeah, but I don't pay any fees for these things, so aren't they a good thing? Not if you're spending 40% more. So it's being aware of that and choosing to reject some of these convenient sorts of credit and kind of going back to old school. Um, If you're looking to recession-proof your finances, if you're looking to step off that hamster wheel of debt, it's having an emergency fund, you know, a buffer of three months of cash rather than credit. It's that old boring thing of living within your means, not allowing lifestyle creep to get in the way. Now, you've said all debt is not the same. There's, in fact, four types Mm. of debt uh, that you've identified. Mm -hmm. Talk us through what they are. Uh, You know, I believe there's four different types of debt. So there's the really freaking awful debt, which is payday loans. And those cute loans like Nimble and different ones where I've done the maths. If you took some of the payday loans, if you took something like Nimble out, you can pay as much as 70% a year if you did that regularly. You know, that's cute and convenient, but that's freaking horrible. I call that the really freaking awful of debt. Bad debt is you buy now, pay later. It's your credit card. It's your personal loans. It's using credit to buy things that are going to go down in value or using credit to buy things that simply don't exist once you've paid for them, like experiences or dining. 
okay debt is student loans. It's your mortgages. So it's debt that we're comfortable having because either it's buying an asset or it's student loans where, yes, they're more expensive at the moment because of CPI, but traditionally they're about two and a quarter percent. And we can usually get better bang for our buck than simply paying them off. Whereas good debt, and yes, there is such a thing as good debt, is debt that you're using to buy assets that are going up in value. So things like a business or property or shares. And again, it's not saying everyone should have good debt, but it's just classifying debt differently in our minds. And by doing that, we also know what debt to avoid completely, but also the order to pay off our debt. So, Melissa, I mean, what are your tips in the times that we find ourselves of the things that we should be thinking about if we are to get to know ourselves, I guess, financially? So, I think it is having that uh, insight. It's looking and saying, right, who am I? What are my money stories? What is my money type? And really getting to know yourself financially because we don't have insight into that for ourselves a lot of the time. We know our preferences and what works for us when it comes to exercise. We know our preferences and what works to us when it comes to food. But actually doing that for finances, I think that's really necessary. And I'm a fan of, so twice a year I do a 30-day financial detox. So it's 30 days of buying nothing new. And during that time, whenever I go to spend or whenever I go to act against my money values, I pause and ask the question, what's the emotion behind this? And what can I swap that behavior for? Because marketing exists at the moment to cause us to spend every single moment of the day. You know, most of us are carrying around not a mobile phone, but a mobile shopping device. And we've created an environment via social media where we are being sold to every second of the day. So during my 30-day financial detox, I do things like I swap pause or cancel expenses that I don't need anymore. I can swap behavior. So if I'm sitting there bored on a Friday night and I'm scrolling and it's easy to click to buy, I might choose to put my phone away and do something else. So it's just pausing and changing those behaviors so that you're in charge of your finances. That was Melissa Brown, who's the author of Unf Your Finances and Budgets Don't Work. And Rihanna, what I loved about how she kind of broke all that down for us was, you know, the comparison between budgeting and eating healthily or, you know, nutrition, which I can definitely get on board with because I, you know, I go to the gym and I try to eat pretty well. So that's something that I already do and it's not too much of a stretch. So if I apply that same principle to my finances, I think I can definitely get my head around that. Yeah, I like things that are broken down for me. And and like you, it's that um, what are those things that really speak to me? And so I was getting a lot out of that, taking a lot of notes while she was talking. And coming up tomorrow, we've got Jamila with the weekend briefing. Jam, who have you got for us? Tomorrow, I am chatting with Sarah Davidson. She is very well known on Instagram. She's a spoonful of Sarah. About a bazillion people follow her. And she has a podcast called Seize the Yay. But in this conversation, I kind of get her backstory, which is fascinating. She is someone who was a super high-achieving kid and started life as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer And she was one of those people who just pushed and pushed and pushed until she couldn't push anymore. She got very sick and Sarah talks to me about what that was like for her and eventually the incredible business opportunity which came out of it and which has totally changed the direction of her life. This is a 
absolutely fascinating one for anyone who's interested in health or small business or has seen Sarah on the millions of platforms where she is very popular. Yeah, it uh, sounds amazing because I actually listen to A Spoonful of Sarah podcast. It's one of my favourite ones, so I'll definitely be tuning in for that one. Uh, that's it from us for Monday to Friday. And if you're relatively new to the briefing, first up, thank you for listening. We love having you with us every day, uh, whether you're listening via Apple Podcasts or Spotify or, you know, whatever other podcast app you have. Hit subscribe, please, and get the briefing in your feed each morning from 6 a.m. for the latest news and also a deep dive interview. I'm Katrina Blowers. Been so great joining you today. Have an amazing weekend and we'll catch you Monday. Listener.